BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411 and sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. I've got visions in my head. People tell me that I'm crazy. I tell them that's exactly it. I've got reasons for my absence. People tell me that I'm burn out. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast. Happy almost New Year. I hope you had the best Christmas ever. And we are we are really just trucking along to 2022. I don't know when this happened. I feel like it was 2018 two days ago. But I just want to say I knocked this New Year episode out of the park. We have Doug Bobst on the show. He has the craziest life story, which I will let him get into. He is a former felon and drug addict and has completely changed his life around. And we are getting right into this, how to transform your life into the best life ever. We're talking about body image. We are talking about like relationships with family, dating. I mean, literally everywhere in every regard, whether it's fitness, health, mental health, your relationships with people, your relationship with yourself, dating. I mean, we're covering all of it. So if you guys need some New Year motivation, I'm telling you, this is the episode for you. If you guys have not already joined the Geneva chat, join it, make some friends. I mean, it's really where we're at all the time. Follow us on Instagram. Um, you can also follow the podcast on TikTok and YouTube. If you prefer to watch the episodes, you can watch them on YouTube. If you need some more YouTube content, some vlogs, some videos from December, I'm telling you, I have so many. YouTube.com slash Kenzie Elizabeth. But I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode with Doug. This is exactly the kind of episode that I need at this time of year, honestly, at all times. But this is just honestly, it's so motivational. His story is insane. And we're just going into it. Like, I really enjoyed it. So this time of year for me is always exciting. Not that I'm like, you know, I don't know. I mean, if people want to set resolutions, like let them set resolutions. Why do we have to be such haters? I'm definitely a goal setter. I, I feel like I do that with or without the new year at all times. And I'm always like challenging myself or doing resolutions or whatever it is. But if that's what it takes for someone to set a new goal and they want to start fresh, let them have that. Okay. This is the perfect time to get motivated, set new goals, make changes in your life, especially after, you know, the holiday season, I think the last two months of the year, get a little bit crazy. We're all over the place. And January is really just a good reset to get clarity 
to like make a list of things that we want to do, like a vision board, an action board, if you will. And this episode, I think will really motivate you to get in that mindset. So without further ado, let's welcome Doug on to the show. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I think, first off, this is a great episode for the new year. You're very, very inspiring and motivational. So I thought you would really be the perfect guest. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this. And you're super inspiring and motivational too. Oh, thank you. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you and helping your audience. Amazing. Can you give us a little background on yourself? Yeah, I mean, I guess in the nutshell, today I'm a trainer. I've written three books. I have a podcast called The Adversity Advantage. And... The ironic thing is growing up, I used adversity to my complete disadvantage. And I was managing pain, trauma, anxiety, depression in the the most harmful way possible. And I started to sell drugs, do drugs, and to make a longer story short, ended up incarcerated on felony drug charges because my drug addiction had gotten out of control. I started to sell a bunch of pot to support that habit and also to make money and to feel loved and to feel seen and to feel wanted and all those things that I was missing from my childhood. And it was when I was in jail that my life got saved forever. And here's what happened. So I'm in jail and my soon to be cellmate, um, was like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from fight club. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and I was this 50, I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now, could have been a model for Pillsbury. And he just saw the lack of confidence in me. He saw that my shoulders were rounded forward. He saw that I uh, just had bad posture and was very like quiet in the way I talked. And he just encouraged me to start working out. And I just kept telling him, no, 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 because also I had to get through this horrific drug detox because like I said, my drug addiction got so bad before I was incarcerated that I was snorting three, 400 milligrams of Oxycontin every single yeah. day to the point where half my left nostril was missing and I was just completely out of my mind. And one night after him continuing to beg me to work out with him, I was just, he was like, dude, what, like, what are you in here for? And I was like, ah, oh, my parents got divorced. I was like, people picked on me. I never had a girlfriend in grade school. And he looked at me, he was like, quit being a bitch. And I was just like, what? And that, that that conversation, Kenzie, like changed my life forever because it allowed me to realize that the reason I was in the position that I was is because I chose to make certain choices in response to the circumstances that I was dealt. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that are listening to this or people, friends of friends, where situations and circumstances are horrific. And I, I get that. But what I also know is in order to change the circumstances to the best of your ability, it requires you to change your choices. Like you still have some choice in that. And sometimes that's hard to hear. And it was actually so, it was really hard for me to hear because I'm in this moment, one of the most vulnerable states I've ever been in. And this guy tells me to quit being a bitch, which is something you don't want to be called in jail. You don't want to be called ever, right? How did you feel about that in the moment? At first I was just like, well, what do you mean? You know, I was kind of dumbfounded that this guy said this to me. He's like, you're blaming everybody for your problems except for yourself. He was like, there's plenty of people whose parents get divorced. There's plenty of people who get bullied and so on and so forth who are not in jail right now. Right, Doug? And I was like, yep. And by this point, like a lot of the drugs and everything had been out of my system. So I was starting to think a little bit more clearly. How long had you been using at this point? 
So I was 21 at this time. So I've been using in total for like seven years. And it started with me just casually smoking pot and then smoking that every day. And then that could numb the pain enough. And then I started to sell it to get this other euphoric rush. And then I started to experiment with cocaine after I graduated high school. That turned into me snorting an eight ball a day. And for a guy who had crippling anxiety, cocaine and uh, anxiety go about as well together as someone trying to lose weight and eat pizza. Like it just doesn't work. not it. And then I got into Oxy, which again was like the next step up of the the numbing mechanism that the pot had originally given me. So when I was in jail, I was just looking back and I'm like, I guess he's kind of right. Like clearly I don't know what I'm doing. I had had 21 jobs by that point. I had damaged so many relationships. I was an addict. I was selling drugs and I'm in jail for felony drug charges. And he was like, you have two choices. You can either be a man or you can be a bitch. He was like, you can be a man and look yourself in the mirror and say, although that your circumstances were tough. And although you're in here now, it's up to you to change. If anybody's going to change, it's going to be you and no one's coming to save you. And that's like an important message for people is a lot of people, they're looking for someone to come rescue them and come save them. And unfortunately, no one's coming to save you. And it's a hard truth to swallow. And I get it if you're in the position where you're in a dark spot, but the only person who's going to save you is yourself. And maybe you'll get some help along the way. And that's a bonus. But if you're just waiting for a, somebody to come and like lift you up and just get you that next place in your life, you're going to be waiting a long time. And when I was there, he just said, or you can, he just said, you can be a man, or you can be a bitch. Or you, can be, you can be a bitch, cry in the corner, say, woe is me, blame everybody else for your problems and cry. He's like, most people will do that. And I had a choice in that moment. I could have been the bitch and just said, you know what? I'm not going to work out. I'm just going to sit on my bed and cry and you know blame everybody for my problems. But I, I guess I just, in that moment, felt empowered that I was like, this guy has no skin in the game. He's finally, I think, giving me some hard advice I needed to hear. And I'm just going to give this thing a try. And shortly after I got down to do a pushup, couldn't do a pushup. And I look at him and I'm like, why can't I do a pushup? And he was like, cause you're fat. And I was just, I hated that word, Kenzie. Like people called me that growing up and it just really, really triggered me. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I don't know what else to tell you, Doug. He's like, you got body fat, you're weak, your core's not strong. So whenever you're, you're trying to do a, whenever you're trying to do a push up, you collapse. And I swore I would never be called fat again. Like I swore in that moment. And we set a goal um, at that time to do a set of ten push ups and run a mile. By the time my my sentence was over, it was a ninety day sentence, which seems super insurmountable at the time because of my situation I just explained with the push-ups, And then I could barely walk up and down the steps because I was smoking a pack to a pack and half of cigarettes a day. And with his motivation and encouragement, training me in there every single day, um, I was able to do it. I was able to do that set of 10 push-ups and run that mile. And I felt this light bulb go off in my head that I was finally going to change my life. I had developed a sense of self-discipline that I never had. I developed a different way I would talk to myself in there. Instead of telling myself that I was a piece of shit, I was telling myself that I was brave, that I was strong. I finally felt confident in who I was. I finally saw like some light at the end of the tunnel that I needed that I hadn't seen for so long. And when I went into jail, I cried because I didn't want to go in. And when I left, I cried because I didn't want to leave, which is so weird. And I remember the day I left, I asked him, I said, like, how can I ever repay you to my cellmate? And he was like, just pay it forward and don't mess up. And back then I thought paying it forward was something weird, like woo-woo spiritual thing. I had no, I'd never read a personal development book in my life. (laughs) And now it's like the thing, like today it's Giving Tuesday, right? As we're sitting down and chatting. And he gave me a workout plan that I still have framed in my place today. So I never forget where I came from, got out, lost a bunch of weight, became a personal trainer. 
by the grace of God, I built a very successful personal training business. Time flew by. The felony ended up coming off my record in 2014. They ended up um, being voted as a fitness hero by the Baltimore Sun. I've written, like I said, three books um, and have been able to share my story on some pretty cool platforms. And, um, and, and that's probably the shortest I've ever spent telling my story, but I wanted to be able to give your listeners some context on how I got to where I am today. I think what you said about the light bulb went off and you're like, I'm finally going to change my life. The most important part about that is that you decided. And I hear that all the time of people like writing in of certain things that they're going through, whatever it might be like for advice. And they're like, I'm really unhappy. And obviously like the circumstances are different, but they're like, I'm really unhappy. I don't like my friendships. I don't like where I'm at. Even something like, I don't like the school that I'm at. I don't like who I am. But I think what people are just waiting for someone to come in and save them and change their lives for them. And it's never going to happen. Like you have to make the decision for yourself. Right. And I think there's a lot of talk now about like developing your why, right? For business or your personal life. But I think you have to to develop a strong why for whenever you're trying to make a change. Because as a trainer, I can't tell you how many people come to me and they say, I want to lose 10 to 15 pounds. And I'm just like, well, why? And they're like, well, because I want to like feel better. I'm like, well, why do you care about feeling better? Like, what is it about that that makes you feel better? And they're like, well, you know, when I go out with my friends, I just want to be able to look better at my clothes. And I'm like, well, why does that matter to you? And they're like, well, because I come home after that, after being out with my friends who are super fit and I ball my eyes out because I'm embarrassed. And that's the why. The why isn't the 10 to 15 pounds. The why is for that person to stop feeling so horrible about the way they, they look after they're out with their friends and falling victim to the comparison trap. And I do believe that you have to love yourself like throughout the process. But I also think you really have to get clear and emotion on an emotional level on why you want to make that change. And I think you have to have a strong enough why you have to attach a strong enough why to whatever it is you're trying to achieve or life will attach it for you. What are the whys that last? I think the whys that last are ones that are just super like emotional and it has to be tied to you on a soul level. It can't be surface level because at the end of the day, like there's certain things that you can't change. There's certain things you can't control. And a lot of the surface level things you can't control. Like you take the weight, for instance, like sometimes the scale is not going to move, right? Sometimes like you might be holding onto some water. I mean, women, obviously they have different things that go on with their hormones than guys do that it it can uh, contribute to the scale. So if your only metric of happiness when it comes to fitness is that 10 to 15 pounds, you're going to be all over the place because there's a lot of things you can't control. But if your metric is, I want to be happy with who I am when I come home, there's so many other things you can look at, right? You can look at how many times you've gone to the gym that week. You can look at strength goals. You can look at how you feel. You can look at your relationships. I can go on and on with these other things that you can track that contribute to that why that are tied to fitness. And like when it comes to relationships, by all means, I am not a relationship expert. But what I will say is that a lot of times we wait for life to throw us that why before we make a change. Like sometimes we know in our gut that that relationship is not for us. That friendship is not for us, but we don't attach a strong enough why we don't say, well, I really want to value myself and step away from this thing because I know I'm worth more as a why versus you wait things blow up as you knew they were going to. And now life is like somebody cheats or something dramatic happens. And now life is attached to why for you. And now you have to make that change. And I think a lot of people, they, when they are starting to make a change, they end up playing the long game too much so that it trips themselves up. And what I mean by that is so many people they are like, I need to lose a hundred pounds. 
And it's like, well, why don't we just, that's a great goal. And I think you should have that goal if that's what your goal is. But let's start with losing two pounds, three pounds, four pounds. I think consistency breeds consistency. And the more consistent you are, the more likely you're going to be consistent. Whereas if you're just somebody that is constantly focused on focusing on losing the hundred pounds, I think sometimes fear takes over and the ability for us to think we're going to be able to achieve something becomes less and less because we're looking at it from such a large context, if that makes sense. Let's talk about when you're in the change, like you're in the process of changing whatever it is, whether you're on a fitness journey, you're trying to fix, you know, maybe confidence or certain issues that you're facing and you need to love yourself throughout the process. And I think it's really easy. I'm a very black and white thinker for myself sometimes. And so it's like, it's either yes or no. And that's kind of it. So in the middle of that, when you're, you know, changing and evolving and like trying to grow, how do you love yourself in the process instead of like falling to, I guess, perfectionism? Like one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was when I was in jail by my cellmate. And I remember saying to him, cause I was a guy that wanted to lose the 50 pounds like yesterday. Right. Cause I was just so tired of the way I looked. I said, how long is it going to take me to lose this weight? And he's like, how long have you been beating yourself up, your body up for? I'm like, 21 years. He's like, it's going to take a long time, Doug. And I was like, okay. So from that moment, I accepted that as part of the process, like it's going to be tough and it's going to take a long time. And I think what happens is so many people, they think that when they chase a fitness goal or they chase a new thing that's going to be positive in their life, all of a sudden it means it's going to be easy. And it's not. Like, Reaching a goal sucks. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of dedication, discipline, like all those things, right? Sometimes you got to get up earlier. Sometimes you have to say no to going out on a Friday night. Sometimes you have to spend a little money in certain places that you don't want to spend to invest in yourself. But what also sucks is not achieving that. So you really have to choose your suck. And when it comes to self-love, just accepting that failure is part of the process and knowing that you, there's, there's always room to adjust. Like there's it's nothing is like finite in the sense where if you have to, you have, if you are trying to achieve a goal and you do it this way, that it has to be that way forever. You can always change, navigate and course correct based on what's going on. And I see a lot of people that when they're in that moment, you know, what they do is they, they end up beating themselves up so much so that they end up quitting which is the complete opposite of self-love. It's the complete opposite of who you want to be. It's the complete opposite of actually where you want to go because then you completely, completely disqualify yourself from like achieving the goal or completing the journey or whatever it is. I think Ed Milet said this first, and this is something that I think about all the time. And he was saying something, I always butcher this uh, and I know probably everyone knows what it is, but it's something on the lines of like confidence is built by making promises to yourself and keeping them because confidence is like similar to trust. So certain things, and I've noticed that within myself when I have even, I mean, I'm a big routine person. So like, let's say I'm like, I'm going to go work out at 6am every day this week or whatever my, my routine, the promises that I've made to myself, I've noticed that doing things like that have actually really helped me. How do you think you have built confidence over the years? I love what Ed says there too. And I think, yeah, it's confidence is made by keeping the promises you make to yourself. I mean, the, the thing that I'll add to that is confidence is continuing to get back up after each time you fall. Like confidence isn't built at the top of the mountain. Confidence is built when you do make a mistake, when you do have a setback, when you do struggle. It, confidence is built 
reestablishing that belief in yourself to keep going. And the way that confidence has been built for me, it's kind of like the what's next mentality. So it started in jail. Like I never thought I could do a push up. So it was like, what's next? Oh, I have the confidence to do one push up. Let's do two. Let's do three. And then I was able to do 10 and run that mile, like I said. And then I got out, developed some more confidence and was like, oh, I'm going to try to go to the gym by myself. Like I had never been to a gym. Right. But I had built the confidence in my ability to know what I'm doing in the gym. And that it also that's a big thing. Gym anxiety is very real. Yeah, it was. And I think once you get over the fact that no one's there to to pay attention to you, no one cares about you as much as you think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's like 97 percent of the battle. Right. So I was able to go to the gym on my own. And then I was able to develop the confidence to to now like try to run a 5K. And I'm I'm going on with examples, but you see it all started from that one push up when it came with the fitness routine. And then like after I became a personal trainer, which by the way, I had no idea I would ever be a freaking trainer. If you'd asked me like 15 years ago, like, yeah, Doug, like, what do you think about being a trainer? I would have been like, ah, I'm just going to sell drugs and get high and listen to, you know, whatever. So then I realized like, oh, wow, I can become a trainer. And then I built a business, which I never thought I could do. So you could like all these small steps just built over time, but it wasn't like it just happened overnight. Like it was a long process. And I often will say too, like one of the things that that really helped me is because I was already like coming from a place that was so low. I mean, my ability to to take risk and fail was I was more likely to do that because I had come from a place where I was already like so down in the dumps that my back was I was just used to have my back against the wall and having to continue to fight that I, I always say to people, like, it's better to look like an idiot now for betting on yourself than to feel like an idiot later on for not doing the thing, you know, you should have done. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of times where I've done something where I've bet on myself and felt like an idiot, like whether it's been somebody I've asked out or whether it's been a time where maybe like I spoke and it didn't go as well as I wanted to, or maybe it was like I did a fitness thing that I didn't do the best, whatever it is, but I learned from it. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad that I at least had the confidence to, to know that I was worth like doing that thing mm-hmm. and that whatever has happened on the back end um, was meant to happen. And then everything with fitness kind of translated in other areas of my life where I felt confident now to develop new friendships. I felt confident to walk away from old people because they no longer aligned with where I was going. They no longer aligned with my future. They were more aligned with my past. It allowed me to to write my first book from felony to fitness to free, even though I I barely graduated high school. And I was like, what am I going to, what am I going to write about? Are people actually going to read this like chicken scratch? And then it was just these small things that over time built up to like speaking to the Clemson football team, you know, they were the defending national champions yeah. at the point at that point, getting on like podcasts and sharing my story to, to, to different people. And the reason I bring up these small steps is because like I said, a few minutes ago, the biggest thing that trips people up is comparing their, and I've, I, this is not my original thing, but I like this term because it's so freaking true is comparing like your chapter one to someone else's chapter 30. Mm-hmm. We forget that everyone who was at that chapter 30 had to start with chapter one. And I encourage people that if they're in that book, they're in their chapter, chapter four, chapter five, and that chapter five isn't so good right now to pick the pen back up, pick that pencil back up and keep rewriting your story, change how your story ends. Cause there's so many people, Kenzie, that when they hit that bad chapter in their life, they take that freaking pencil, they throw it down the sewer drain and they say, you know what? End of story. I'm just going to stay here in that same chapter four. But we all know our favorite 
books, my favorite books, and I don't know how you feel, are the ones that has like that hero's journey, right? Yeah. It's the one where somebody makes that comeback and maybe not every chapter is our favorite, but there were some great chapters in that book. And I think there's certain people, especially right now, I know people are really suffering with mental health and addiction to know that like, it's okay to start over. Like I made a post about this the other day and it, I, th- I think so many people forget that, that it's okay to start over. There was something Dave Hollis said on your podcast. I literally wrote it down. He said something along the lines of, he's like, I'm casting a vision based on who I am now, no longer who I've been. That is just something that, honestly, he put like the thoughts that I was having in my head the past year actually like out. I was like, that is exactly how I felt, but I couldn't explain it. And I think it's really easy too to, like I can be very like tunnel visioned and you're talking about, you know, looking at chapter one versus trying to look at the end of the book and I can get even just really tunnel visioned and not looking at either other possibilities or other things that are coming my way because I think that I know what I want, which this year, my biggest lesson is like, I had no idea what I wanted, even though I was so like stubborn and thinking that and allowing myself to you know, change my mind. And like, again, like pick up the pen. Like I didn't like where I was at. I didn't like where I had like led my life and I needed to change things. And that was so helpful, but it was, I don't know. I think too, there's like a combination. I don't know if it's because I put myself on the internet or if it's a cancel culture thing or whatever it is, but feeling like I can't change my mind. And that was really difficult for me, but being able to kind of like take it back and almost it's like empowering and change your mind and go into a new direction was something that was really freeing to me. Yeah. And I think it's hard too to, to change direction because we want to see things through. Yeah. And especially in a world where being perfect is, is put on this massive pedestal that we have to, we think of ourselves as a failure if we're pursuing something that we really want and we get so focused on and then it doesn't work out. We're like, oh my gosh, like if this thing doesn't work out, I don't see it through and actually achieve it then I'm somehow going to be a failure to the world. And, and the reality is this, is that there's a couple of things that we chase so much, Kenzie, that in the world that are not guaranteed. One is perfection and two is certainty, right? Yeah. Like the world is not certain. The mm. world changes every single day and it's impossible to be perfect. And I've kind of had to work on that myself where I, I'm a, somebody who is just type A, Right. I like to see things through, even though like sometimes I'm like banging my head against a brick wall to see that thing through. I'm still going to like get the blisters on my forehead from yep. banging my head. <laughs> but sometimes I'm like, man, like, you know, what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Like so maybe it's time to change the channel. And I think a lot of times people, they get that same channel on that, on the TV, or I'm mean, using this as a, you know, as an analogy, this isn't like serious, but they have that same like, like track playing in their head. Like, oh, I'm going to be in this relationship or I'm going to live in this city or I'm going to do this job. And it's over and over and over again because they want to finish the end of the song over and over again. But if sometimes if we can just change the song and listen to a different tune, we get a different perspective on life and we're able to say, oh, like I kind of like this song better. I didn't think I would, but I am. And then one of the other lessons that just kind of came to me that you were saying is, as you were talking about that, is sometimes we think the grass is always gre- greener when we're changing something, and sometimes we have to water our own grass. Yeah. And that that was a hard lesson for me because as somebody who blamed my family and other people for a good bit of my life, I thought that the greener grass was was that. 
was just blaming them and somehow making this, because you can justify anything in your head. You can validate anything, right? And I just kept continued to validate that nothing was my fault in my life. And that was what got me in trouble. But it wasn't until I realized that I had to start watering my own grass because my grass was completely dead inside, I was spiritually broken, mentally broken, emotionally broken, and physically broken. And it wasn't until I started to do that, that things changed for me. How did you do that? Well, it was through fitness. But then after I got out, one of the hardest things, you know, I told you, you went and saw Luke Combs, um, that song, Beautiful Crazy, they, they sung yeah. it my, uh, and I was like, listening. Uh, I just had watched your Instagram and saw you were there. And I was thinking about that because like I said, that was at my mom's wedding and I got to walk her down the aisle and I teared up. And the reason I teared up was because my relationship with my mom like was not good. Most of my life it was terrible, horrible. I mean, I was kicked out of her house when I was 16 and I said some stuff when I left that house because I just felt abandoned and hurt and wrong and all the, all the things that I would never wish anyone to say to, to anybody. And I had a really strained relationship with her throughout my, my teenage years. And even in, in jail, I think she only came to visit me once because I mean, our relationship wasn't good, got out. And I was just begging for forgiveness. I was just begging for her to kind of come back around. And I was expecting her to come on my turf without me watering my own grass. And I had to learn to accept that I wasn't gonna force her to come on my turf and, and plant the seeds with me and water my own grass until I started to water my grass myself. And that looked like forgiveness, acceptance. It looked like me continuing to take care of my health. It looked like me apologizing. It looked like me working on my, some of my inner child stuff, trauma, like all the things that got me to a point where I could have these vulnerable conversations with my mom and, and tell her that I'm sorry. And you know what happened when I said I'm sorry? She said she was sorry too. That's a really powerful lesson. We're always like waiting for the person to say that they're sorry. Like we're always holding on to our, I mean, I don't know yeah. if you've ever, have you ever done this where you're like waiting, you're like, I'm not going to say sorry until they do. Yeah. When they do, I will. And with her, I was waiting. I was like, when is she ever going to apologize? But I had to, to come to terms with, if I continue to hold on to that resentment the way I did and not change myself, that it gave our relationship no shot. But I knew that if I could water my own grass, let go of the resentment and at least own my stuff, that it gave it a shot. And that's what it did. And we had a really deep conversation where, and if there's anybody here who's a young parent or you're listening to this and you're in a situation like this, she said to me, she's like, what could I have done differently? And I just said, I just wish you would have asked like why, why I was using the drugs instead of looking at the mm -hmm. fact that I was, because I was, cr I was crushed inside. Like I was really hurting. And it, it developed this level of connection with my mom that I'd never had before. And I teared up because I always tell people that when they're in the situation that I was as a teenager to work on that relationship with your mom, because it, for, it changed my relationship with her forever because I didn't get to enjoy a lot of the teenage years with my mom, like other kids do. And I look back at that. People are always like, well, what do you regret? And sure. I accept that everything happened for me. I do. I, I believe all that, but there's part of me that regrets that it really is. And I also knew that if I wanted to have a good relationship with like a woman that I didn't want to be the guy like walking around with mommy issues, right? Yeah. That I had to really like put forth effort to work on that. 
And, and now we have a great relationship. You know, I spent some time with her in Florida. Was it like last week or two weeks ago? And the reason I say this, I encourage people, like sometimes we're, we want to be right instead of hap- being happy. Mm-hmm. And you're not winning when you're holding on to resentment like that. What you're talking about, though, is a really high level of emotional intelligence. How did you figure that out at the time? I think even just talking to so many of my friends, it's like, I don't want to be here, but I don't know what to do. What were like practical steps that you took or ways that you learned what you even needed, what the next steps would be? I think a couple things. You know, I I often got kind of lucky, I think, um, where a lot of my clients were like people who were older. Like they were like older guys, older women that were married with kids and had, had been through life, right? And so I got to talk to them and we, they became like family. So they would give me like life advice on certain things. And I learned like where I could be better. I started to go to therapy and I'm all for therapy. I mean, Same. and I've been in and out of therapy for, for a while. And I think therapy is one thing where you have to do like the, the work too. I think some people just, they sit in therapy just to say they go, but they don't really do anything afterwards, which I don't, I'm not judging anybody, but I do know that as somebody who kind of did that when I was younger, like things don't really change until you take the stuff that you took in therapy and apply it to your life. There's a difference between being self-aware and making action in your life. I know so many people who are extremely self-aware, but they make no changes. Like there is, there is a difference. Right. And one of the things that was hardest for me to understand was, uh, I think we talked about this before we recorded, but this kind of plays into your question is I had this level of cognitive dissonance in who I looked like that I didn't know where it came from. And this is what forced me to like work on my, my child relationships was, you know, as a kid, I was bullied. I was told that I looked like I had down syndrome because I mean, I was, I was heavier and I just, you know, but still, I don't think it justified being called names and stuff like that. And I had this idea of who I looked like because I had no luck with girls. So I was like, well, maybe I am like ugly. Maybe I am all the things that people say, right? So when I started to lose weight and people would be like, oh man, you look like Marky Mark from like Marky, like Mark Wahlberg and all these things. I never believed it. I was like, who is that an insult? Is that a, and people were like, are you like, are you serious? But because I saw in the mirror, the old version of me still, because that had been wired in my head. So I had some friends that were like, they were older, like women and they were like moms in my life. Right. Cause they, for a while, until I healed the relationship with my mom, I had other mother figures in my life to kind of help walk me along the way. And they were like, well, what happened in your childhood? And so I started to tell them and they're like, well, it's no reason that your idea of who you are is so jacked up. Like you need to start working on that. And so I, I went into therapy and I started to like work on that thing. And I started to read personal development books. I started to just watch videos and a lot of it was, I don't want to say it was self-taught because that's kind of sounds, I don't want to say it's egotistical, but that's not hundred percent accurate. I mean, I did teach myself a lot of things, but a lot of it was, I was just very blessed to be around strong mentors from a young age, from when I became, how did you a, find them? So when I became a trainer, I had just gotten so used to having my cellmate kind of mentor me through the, the jail experience that I knew that I needed somebody in my life to help guide me or I was a mess. And so when I became a trainer, I sought out. Um, a guy who's now one of my best friends, this guy, Billy, who helped me like guide me on what to do to become a, a trainer and how to, to, uh, build a training business and taught me about customer service and all those things. And now he's more just like a, a lifeline for me in a lot of things. And then I got invited or I went to this mentorship by this guy, Todd Durkin, who's a, like a big fitness trainer out in San Diego, trains a bunch of professional athletes. And I thought the mentorship was going to be about how to do like a better lunge or help, you know, teach people how to lose weight or whatever. We talked about like deep stuff. Like I went there and I'm like, I forget what I was 22 or something. 
And he was like, well, what are the five things you want to accomplish before you die? I'm like, wait, what? And I was so, I was like, and a deer in the headlights. I had no idea what to say. I was like, well, what are your big five for next year? Or like, what, are you running from something? Or are you hiding from something? Like, what is one relationship? And like, like deep questions where it got me to think. And I was like, man, like I need to start thinking about things like this. And so that was a big thing for me. And then, you know, I got involved in, in different, you know, networking groups and stuff like that through the years and developed relationships. And then my faith has also played a big part in where I am now. You know, I'm a Christian. I don't judge anybody for what they believe, but I know for me, I grew up not believing in anything. Cause I thought if God is real, like, why am I being picked on? Like, why all the, are these bad things happening to me? And I also knew that if I was good, I was going to heaven. If I was bad, I was going to hell. And I'm like, well, clearly I'm on the fast track to hell. <laughs> so I was Not like, on the up and up right now. Right. <laughs> but this same mentor, when I was going through some problems, I had just like, I was debating on like going on um, the bachelor and modeling. Like I was doing all like, just for attention though. It wasn't like I was actually looking for love. It was more of that internal validation that I yeah. still was looking to fill where it was being filled through drugs, being filled through selling drugs. And then when I got out, it was through vanity and my, by showing off my body and all those things. And Todd was like, dude, like what's your relationship with God? Like, he's like, you have all these other things going for you. But he's like, you need some sort of spirituality in your life. I don't care what it is. And it forced me to take a look inside and be like, you know, I think he's right. And ironically, one of my clients happened to be a pastor at, non-denomination, at a non-denominational church. And um, he had been kind of t- like begging me to come to church. But you know, when somebody like that, I'm like, eh. yeah. No, I went to Bible college. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. Yep. And, and after I had this conversation with Todd and like a couple other things happened, I just was like, I think I'm going to give this Jesus thing a try. And I called him, my client. And after I told him, it was like, I just told him he won the lottery. I was like, what the heck's wrong with this guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I, I go and I like pray and, and, you know, acknowledge that Jesus died for my sins. And I started to cry. I can't, I don't know how else to explain this. I started crying. I felt this monkey come off my back. Like, it, like it, the same one that when I was doing drugs and I called my mom and I just apologized for the first time. And that was like a big thing for me, right? Was becoming self-aware in that sense that, I knew at that moment that part of me died when I was in jail and I couldn't make up the fact that my life was in shambles when I was incarcerated. I'm talking, you know, suicidal thoughts. I mean, I was in a horrific place with drugs and all the other things. I buried several of my friends before my 21st birthday, several, like I'm talking people I hung out with, not just people I would see on Facebook. I mean, I've probably been, I mean, I went to another viewing a couple of weeks ago, like, I mean, probably 15 viewings or something like that for people that I did drugs with, sold drugs to, hung out with. And so I'd been through it and I couldn't make up the fact that I was in that place. And then this guy helps me to use fitness. And now I'm helping other people use fitness. I was like, man, there's something else had to happen there. And then it got me to realize that I might not have been proud for what I've done, but God was, cause now he's using it for some good. And that's what my relationship with Jesus and my faith is like now. It's not me going to church on Sundays, checking a box and, you know, being dogmatic about it, it's more just about the relationship. Like I know there's somebody out there looking out for me and I know that I do the best that I can to act like a, a good person and treat people with respect. And do I slip up? Yes, I do. <laughs> Very regularly. <laughs> but all of that to say is what developed the self-awareness to know yeah. that there were certain things in my life that needed to change and that I needed to work on and that I needed to let go of a lot of the anger and resentment that I had because that's addicting, right? It's addicting to blame somebody else because then it takes 
it prevents you from doing one of the hardest things in the world. And that's looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, oh, like, what do I got to address here? Yeah. I want to talk about that too. You mentioned earlier just weed and you're like, you know, it's really just like why you're doing things. Yeah. And that's a topic that we've actually been talking about on the podcast a lot. It's like people are running from oftentimes themselves, their problems, their issues, things they don't want to face, you know, either whether, and I drink, it's either like, you know, it could be alcohol, it could be weed, it could be dating, it could be Instagram, working, any sort of addiction. But I want to talk about like running from issues and using other things. Yeah. I mean, what are they, what's the old saying? Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. And, um, Pot's interesting because now when I tell my story and I tell people the reason I went to jail is because I got busted with a half a pound. People are like, well, that was illegal then. But people forget like back in 2008, like getting busted with pot was like a big deal back oh, then. Yeah. Like people, like my parents, when they caught me smoking pot or even my friends, that was like something you got really pissed off about. And I'm not the the pot police, you know, I'm not here to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do. I can just share from my own personal experience. And what I do know is that I never thought in a million years that when I took that first hit off the marijuana pipe, it would somehow lead to me being incarcerated on felony drug charges. Like no one does. But because my situation and my experience was set up so that I had all this gateway trauma and pain that I hadn't dealt with, the pot became the perfect band-aid for that pain. And so what did I want to do? I wanted to continue to chase that same numbing feeling. So I didn't want to think about all the stuff. And that's what happens with people. I think a lot of times is Number one, they think that just because their friends are doing it, that they should do it. And then once they do that, they realize that even if they have like a bunch of problems in their life, like, wow, like I actually don't feel anxious anymore. I don't feel depressed. Oh, like I'm not worried about my family dynamics anymore. I'm not worried about, you know, the fact that I got bullied or put in a locker or whatever, like two weeks ago. And like, I'm, I'm free. And that feeling becomes addictive. And then the combination of that and the, what I believe is that your environment creates a false sense of normalcy. Whereas if you and like 10 of your friends are just smoking pot and getting high all the time, like you're going to think that's normal. When so, so when someone says like, like Kenzie, like what you're doing is wrong. You're like, well, what the heck are you talking about? Like everyone else is doing because everyone else in your life is doing it. I always tell people if I, people are asking me for my advice is like, look at the reason why you're doing it. Again, it comes to why, because if you're doing it because you don't feel good about yourself, it can be a very slippery slope because eventually you develop tolerance and that can only make you feel, feel good for so long before you move on to something else. I mean, I did, I knew plenty of other people that it didn't just start with, with, with opiates, didn't just start with Coke. There was something else going on on a soul level, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level that was the catalyst for the addictive behavior. And that's why I, I like to say like the biggest thing that's helped me is learning to reattach behavior to emotion because when I would get anxious or stressed back in the day, my first go-to was take a pill or smoke or whatever, all these things that were just not good for me. But in jail, I learned to reattach behavior to emotion. I learned that when I was anxious, I couldn't, it's not like I could do drugs in jail. Like, so when I was anxious, I would go for a walk. I would go for a run in the common area. I would, you know, we would work out, we would do all the things. And I learned like, wow, I can actually feel good without using a substance. And so it became second nature to me that when I got out, I was able to do those things when certain things would, would come up in my life. So I guess to, to, to put a bow on that, I'm not here to say that everybody should just never smoke pot. What I am here to say is it's just to be careful, look at your situation. Don't do it because you're fitting in. Don't doing it to, don't do it to numb pain. Like, you know, just make sure you're looking at it from a, the whole situation in itself, instead of just looking at, oh, I'm just going to smoke pot because everyone else is doing it. 
my family has been heavily affected by addiction. My mom says that all the time. She's like so much of why certain treatments haven't worked or, or, you know, different journeys or where they're at is because she's like, there's a root to the issue. It's not just, oh, they like, you know, doing whatever drug or whatever they're currently addicted to. She's like, until that is fixed, like I've not seen any sort of success. I feel like that's not everyone's go-to because it's, you know, you saying to your mom, I wish you would have asked why Right, is not most people's response because you were just immediately you're like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Or some people will think like, why are you choosing this over me? And it runs a lot deeper than that. It's not just as simple as like, I like being high. Right. And I, and I think a lot of people, they equate or they think about like, if they can't give up that substance, they're like, well, like, what do I have to look forward to? Or how am I going to be happy? And it's not because um, they think that the, that the, they just have so much fun doing drugs. It's because they are so unhappy with themselves that they've gotten used to using this external substance to validate them and to create that happiness for them that they believe if you take that away from them, they're, they're going to be miserable, but they don't realize that once you take that substance away, if it is that a heavy coping mechanism, it gives you that chance to get like a baseline back and say, Oh, like, man, this was kind of affecting me in these ways. And here's some other ways that I can, here's some other paths I can take to create happiness and meaning and, and joy in my life. And there's so many people too, like with, with alcohol, same kind of thing. Like alcohol is very socially acceptable. And there's a lot of people that, that drink a ton. There's a lot of people that are severely affected by alcohol. I mean, alcohol kills people too. And with that, like, I'm not against that either. Right. Like I'm not going to judge anyone for that. But what I will say is like, how is it impacting your life? If you're somebody that's going out five, four or five nights a week and getting hammered and it's, you're waking up late, you're missing work, you're finding yourself having to use it just to, to get by, or you feel stressed. And every time you're stressed, you're drinking and you're, you feel, you look at your relationships and they're being affected. And maybe it's time to ask yourself, like, is, is this really worth it? Like, is it worth it? And that's, it comes back to your, what you were saying, like you're black and white. So there's a lot of people that think if they give that thing up, that they're failing. They're like, oh my gosh, like I must be a failure because I can't drink like my friend can drink, or I can't smoke like my friend can um, smoke. But you're going to be a lot more of a, you're going to feel like a lot more of a failure if your marriage falls apart. You're going to yeah. feel a lot more of a failure, True. like a lot more of a failure if all of a sudden you end up gaining a bunch of weight that you didn't want to gain because you're drinking, you know, consistently for years or, or whatever. You're going to feel pretty poorly if you don't, you know, give something like that up. No, definitely. Last thing I want to talk about with you. What is your, we were talking about this a little bit off air. Like what is your relationship with dating currently? Man, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think one of my big goals for next year is to take dating more seriously. I saw that on your Instagram story. I'm keeping up. Um, <laughs> and I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday. I think I have commitment issues, not like commitment to a relationship, but I'm overcommitted to my business. And I think that like takes up so much emotional energy from me that it can prevent me from uh, putting effort into that. And I got started in the dating game, like when I was... I mean, I, got, I was late to the game because like I said, like when I say I didn't have a girlfriend in high school, it's like, I'm dead serious. I honestly didn't have the confidence to go up and ask a girl out at a grocery store like, at all mm -hmm. until like, what am I, 34 now? Until probably like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago. It's kind of crazy, but it's the truth. But I, I'm, I accept who I am and I accept that there's a, there was a big level of growth that came from, from all of that. And what I also know is that with all that said, now where I'm at is 
you know, I'm looking to get back in the dating game and take it more seriously, but it's gotta be somebody who like understands what I do and somebody that kind of meets like certain boxes of what I'm looking for. Not like I'm not black and white, but somebody who is definitely into fitness, somebody who's definitely into personal development, somebody who like has goals, somebody who's, I mean, support, I think supportive is like self, it's like a given, right? I would hope yeah. like no matter what, like your, your partner's supportive. Or like nice breeze, like bars on the floor. Yeah, no. It's also dating feels like a full-time job. Like it, it actually feels, my friends and I say that all the time. I'm like, I believe you can make time for whatever you want to make time for. The whole not having time thing, whatever. But like, I just don't want to make time for it. I think that's the problem. Right. And do you think it comes back to you just don't feel you're going to find the right person? Or do you think it comes back to you've been hurt in the past? Like, where do you think that comes I'm from? I'm sure it's a mixture of all of it, but it's also... Uh, I don't know. It's like a weird thing dating in general, but it's also like an awkward thing when you have like, like an online presence. It's not even the thing. It's just, I have such a unique lifestyle, like a very weird job away from like the following. Like that's not really where I, I don't know. It's just like the lifestyle of it. It would have to be, I don't know. It would have to be like the absolute perfect thing. Yeah. That's how I, I think sometimes I, Maybe like you, I have standards that are so high yeah. that I pretty much just eliminate like a lot of people that could be potentially good matches. But I also am really good now at not painting red flags green. Like I used to paint red flags yeah. green all the time. All day long. Yeah. <laughs> like like pe- people were like, man, you don't just paint red flags green. You wear them as a necklace. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm yep. like, uh, thanks. But I, I again, like I'm very self-aware when I know that something for me is becoming a pattern, I start to do, I start to look within and I do the yeah. work and I'll, I mean, thankfully I have a podcast where I interview people that are challenging me all the time. And I, I agree with you. I think when you're in a, in the public eye, so to speak, you know, you feel like kind of weird because you're like, oh my gosh, are they going to understand what I do? Or am I going to have to make this thing super public? Because you see, I mean, we're not, I don't think we're celebrities, right? But I do think that a lot of celebrity relationships are so public online that you read about them all the time. So I think there's probably that that kind of plays into it. And then I also think the person that you're with or what I'm with, I would think has to be like really secure with themselves. Because yeah, that's that's my actual issue. Because I I have a I have a strong female audience, like I was telling you before we recorded, and I'm around women a lot just through my job and just as a trainer and because I like to network and meet people. And I just wanted to know that, that, that I can be with somebody that like accepts that part of me. Cause there's a lot of people that aren't, wouldn't be okay with it. And that's fine. And I completely, honestly, I understand. I really do. But I know for me, like that's gotta be something. That wouldn't work. Yeah. No, it's just tricky. I'm like, I don't know. Honestly, it really, the thought of it just makes me want to take a nap. So it's one of those things where I'm like, eventually take a nap, take a nap or take a nap, take a nap. Oh. Like I'm like, I'm just tired. It's like pretty much immediate with me or that's it. Like it's yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can they find you? Um, where can they buy your books, train with you, everything? Yeah. So the best place to find me is just dougbopes.com. It's got the links to, to my podcast, um, buy my books there. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, like all the things at Doug Bobes. Are you on TikTok? I am on TikTok, but I'm not on TikTok. I mean, I, I it would just, be a good platform for you. I know. I know I, that's annoying, but I'll post like vi- clips of the podcast. But I'm trying. I'm trying to honestly figure out how I can like make it work. Yeah. With like how the algorithm of TikTok is and what they like to see and what I do, and then the, my podcast is called The Adversity Advantage, and you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I just want to thank you. You're a great host, and thank you. You asked some good questions, and. And I guess the last thing I want to say 
to your audience is this, is that I think going back to the chapter one and chapter 30 analogy, we seem to forget the things in our life that we have accomplished. That was something that really helped me was as somebody who was always future tripping and being like, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to make it like another three years on probation or four years on probation? How am I going to lose another 15 pounds? I had to really focus on how far I had come and how far I had to go. And I think when you focus on what you don't have in your life and everything you haven't achieved, like life gets really small and really dark, right? But if you can lean into the things you have achieved, the things you have accomplished, like what you have done in your life, it's going to brighten you. It's going to make you more optimistic because now you're going to look at it from a more positive mindset. I'm like, oh, like I have achieved these things. Or maybe I didn't even realize that I did this. So that's something that I, I encourage everyone to do. It's just really focus on how far you've come and not how far you have to go. That's really good. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a very fun and very safe New Year's Eve. Again, you guys can check out the Breadwinning Housewife merch linked below. We have a cute set, trucker and a tote bag. Join the Geneva chat. Follow us on Instagram. Join the newsletter. Everything is down below. I love you guys so much. And I will talk to you next Thursday. Thursday.